Good morning, witches. This is the Witch Daily Show, coming to you from New Orleans, with host Tanya Brown. Our episodes span about 20 minutes long to give you just a little pop of magic. So, tune in, take a deep breath, and enjoy. Good morning. It is October 13th. Woo! Friday, 2023. It is Friday, obviously. I already said that. And this is Tanya, and this is the Witch Daily Show. Yay! Friday the 13th. Spooky, spooky. So today's episode is brought to you by Flutter by Fox Designs. So let's get your day going with a little magic. Our quote of the day is, I'm not superstitious, but I am a little stitious by Michael Scott, The Office. So we are drinking Dark Society, which is a Mayan hot chocolate. A dark moment, Dark Society is a drinking chocolate made from powdered cacao nibs. The Aztecs believed drinking chocolate was a spiritual experience, and we couldn't agree more. Said to bring you messages from the dead, it is the perfect pre-spell ritual drink. Topped off with cinnamon, ginger, and cayenne pepper, this blissful drink has a touch of wickedness. And this is from Sip a Spell. So I really wanted to find some like chocolate lore for you beyond just, you know, talking about the ceremonial aspects. I don't know what I was looking for. I think I was looking for like people thought if you ate chocolate, like you turn into a goat. I don't know. I, I, I don't know what I was searching for, um, but I did find a few interesting little tidbits. So. I thought because our we're not just talking about chocolate like right like we have in the past like some of our teas just have little chunks of chocolate in it and I was like no 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 this is different so I thought we'd talk today about the history of hot chocolate a little different so this comes to us from the spruceeats.com we all know hot chocolate is the warm, rich drink we enjoy on a cold night by the fire. But have you ever thought about this delicious beverage's origins? Which I know we have. We talk about it all the time. And how did it turn from cold and spicy to warm and sweet? So it all started in Mexico as early as 500 B.C., so we know the Mayans were drinking chocolate made from ground-up cacao seeds mixed with water, cornmeal, and chili peppers. A much different version of the hot chocolate we know today. They would mix the drink by pouring it back and forth from a cup to a pot until a thick foam developed and then enjoyed the beverage cold. Although the chocolate drink was available to all classes of people, the wealthy would drink it from large vessels with spouts. Much later would be buried, um, which later these vessels would be buried along with them. Then it made its way to Europe. So in, in the early 1500s, the explorer Cortez brought cacao beans and the chocolate drink making tools to Europe. 
Although the drink still remained cold and bitter tasting, it gained popularity and was adopted by the court of King Charles V, as well as the Spanish upper class. After its introduction in Spain, the drink began to be served hot, sweetened, and without chili peppers. The Spanish were very protective of their wonderful new beverage, and it was over a hundred years before news of it began to spread across Europe. I love that. They're like, listen, this is cool. Don't tell anybody (laughs) for 100 years. And they did it. Good for them. So it did hit London in the 1700s, and chocolate houses, similar to coffee shops, became popular and trendy, even though chocolate was very expensive. In the late 1700s, the president of the Royal College of Physicians, Hans Sloan, brought from Jamaica a recipe for mixing chocolate with milk, which made the drink more palatable. So up until the 19th century, hot chocolate was used as a treatment for stomach and liver disease and as well as just treated as a special beverage. Today, however, we simply treat this warm concoction as a beverage to sip and savor in America. Hot chocolate is somewhat thin and often made by combining hot water with packets of powder, although you can find more authentic uh, varieties in cafes. Other countries have their own versions. Spain's thick uh, chocolate a la taza, which is a spiced chocolate, and then a chocolate parameza from Latin America, and Italy's uh, silcolata calda, which is very thick. So hot chocolate has become so popular in the United States that it is available in coffee vending machines. The powder is sold in packets and canisters, and coffee houses often have rich, somewhat thicker varieties. It wasn't until the middle of the 18th century that chocolate began to evolve past its drinkable form. First, cocoa powder was invented in Holland, where the Dutch controlled nearly the entire cocoa bean trade. And since the cocoa powder blends much easier with the milk and water, it allowed for more creations. I love it. I love it. All right, moving into some headlines. This comes to us from thecollector.com, published September 3rd. Six facts you didn't know about the Salem witch trials. Now, listen, anytime an article is like, like, here's some things you didn't know. I dare me. You know what I mean? Like, try me. I will often come across like an article like this about something I'm a big nerd over, such as I know um, one of my special interests that I've studied a lot is about like the the pre-1700, pre-1800s witch trials. I know a lot about it because I wanted to make sure I knew a lot when I wrote my book, you know, The Door to Witchcraft. So, when I, like anything I'm a huge just like nerd about and I see an article and they're like, we bet you didn't know. I'm like, mm, let's see. So let's see. Let's see. Six facts you didn't know about the Salem witch trials from the collector.com. Let's find out. <laughs> okay. Number one, witches tests could not be passed. I think we've all, we all know that. So witch tests were a relic of the witch trials in Europe, which peaked during the medieval era, uh, era, but continued when Massachusetts accused its witches. Clergymen conceived the tests, and the accused witches would be tested until they failed, proving their practice of witchcraft. I think we all knew that. Let's see, number two. No one was burned at the stake. 
I did know that. Uh, usually they were hung or stoned. I think burning at the stake was primarily a South American thing, an Italian thing, and a Europe thing. So let's see. When one thinks of Salem witch trials, it's easy to imagine that witches were all burned at the stake. This is actually a trope from the European witch trials. Being burned at the stake was an age-old punishment reserved for heretics, such as Joan of Arc. Uh, this style of execution is commonly thought of in conjunction with witch trials because tens of, thousand, uh, tens of thousands of witches in Europe were burned at the stake. So yeah. Two for two. I knew these ones. Oh, this one I didn't know. This one I did not know. They got me. They got me. The youngest accused witch was four years old. I did not know that. While most of the accused witches were adults, even elderly, one exception is Dorothy Good. Dorothy was four or five when she was charged and arrested for witchcraft. Her mother, Sarah Good, was accused witch who would be the one executed by hanging for her supposed devil worship. Oh. Let's see. Did Dorothy survive? Dorothy, little baby Dorothy, spent seven months in prison and was released on bond. Okay, good. She survived. Uh, courts allowed spectral te uh, testimonies. I did know that. That means um, you could, like, basically people could be like, I saw a ghost. And that was, like, a testimony. So the evidence used against the accused witches was wholly circumstantial. No one could actually produce Satan to appear in court, and the supposed victims had no proof beyond their word. This meant that spectral evidence was admissible in the Salem witch trials. Spectral evidence relied on a victim's testimony that they had seen the accused witch in a spirit form. Yeah. Most of the accusers were children. Well, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, while many of the witches turned on one another, those who were afflicted or victimized by the supposed witches were relatively young. The first accusers were Elizabeth Paris and Abigail Williams, ages 9 and 11. So my theory on this, this is my own personal theory. I can't say here or there if it's true. My own personal theory is life was very hard time. Very, very hard. Life was brutal. And difficult. And this is before, like, the 1980s when people cared about children, right? So not only was life very hard, it was harder for women and harder for children. So these children are the lowest on the totem pole here of, like, people who are given any ounce of respect or care. So... These young girls, you know, they're getting in trouble for things and they're like, oh, well, uh, you know, XYZ. Everyone's like, hmm. And then all of a sudden they're being treated with respect and they're being treated like little rock stars. And it's really hard for me personally to wholly blame them uh, for this because of how horribly they were probably treated day to day. And they found this as a way of survival. Now, I'm not saying that, like, it was cool or that it wasn't, like, their fault. I'm just saying I can understand how this would happen so easily when life is that hard. And you find a way to make life a little easier. 
That's all I'm saying. But oh, anyways, witches, I'm going to throw this over to our moon correspondent. And after this break, we will talk more. Hello to all of my astro friends. This is Serendipity, the Chicago astrologer, coming at you with your daily moon mantra for Friday, October 13th. The waning crescent moon makes no waves in Libra today. Here, the moon conjuncts Mercury. This is a great day to have a hard conversation with a loved one. We don't always have the courage to bring up a boundary that's been crossed, especially with friends that are important to us and that we want to keep in our lives. Unfortunately, sometimes the act of not having that conversation fosters resentment and allows people to continue to act in ways that are unacceptable to us. It's only by dragging these things out into the open that they can finally get resolved. Mercury and the moon in Libra will give us the sensitivity and conversational tools to approach this discussion in an empathetic manner and work towards a resolution. Your daily moon mantra is, when we avoid conversations, we trade short-term discomfort for long-term dysfunction. This has been your daily moon mantra with Serendipity, the Chicago astrologer, signing off and reminding you that you are in charge of your own destiny. Flutter by Fox Designs was created with the crafty witch in mind. Our stationery is well suited for any witch, occultist, or writer of the fairy tale persuasion. Whether you're sending letters to fellow spellcasters, creating a book of shadows, compiling herbal remedies, or journaling about the magic found within each day, Flutter by Fox Designs has the writing paper to fit your needs. Custom orders are always welcome. Visit FlutterbyFoxDesigns.com. That's F-L-U-T-T-E-R-B-Y FoxDesigns.com. Or find us on Etsy. Use coupon code WITCHDAILY for 20% off your first order. Flutter by Fox Designs, your source for enchanting stationery and so much more. All right, we are back. Now, it's been a while since I've given my Friday the 13th soapbox, but here we are yet again. And anyone who has listened to my show um, during any of the Friday the 13th know I am very passionate about the misinformation that runs rampant on Friday the 13th. I will see memes that don't even make biological sense, but will be shared by everyone I know. And I'm just like, you're all adults. If you stopped and thought for two seconds, you would know this meme does not make sense. Uh, but people uh, love to just make things up. They'll go viral, get millions of reblogs or whatever, and it won't even make logical sense, much less historical or ac like accurate sense curate sense. Anyways, this is something that drives me absolutely bonkers bananas. Bonkers bananas. So you will see all kinds of things that just don't make sense. They'll be like, well, people hate Friday 13th because the number 13 looks like a pregnant woman. It's like, no, that's not true. That has, I don't know where that came from. I've, I've heard that before. Um, it's like, people just make things up, right? 
um, you'll hear that people hate Friday 13th because sometimes there's a 13th moon. And, like, that kind of have a, has a little bit of a basis. Um, basically, Friday the 13th is an American phenomenon. It doesn't make sense anywhere else. And it's a phenomena that, because it only makes sense in America, the memes of why, like, don't make sense. This is purely a cultural thing. If it was really a, like a hatred of women or whatever, it would be hated everywhere. But it's just hated here. So let's talk about why. So this is actually a really fascinating uh, conversation. And I'm going to be honest, I have not talked about it in a while. So my facts may be a little rusty. But basically, Friday the 13th is just one of those perfect little amalgamations of things that just make people slightly uncomfortable. So, the first one is Friday. And keep in mind, different cultures and countries have different days and numbers they hate. But for us specifically here, we have an issue with Friday. And that typically stems from the Bible. A lot of bad things in the Bible happened on Friday. And so people would have a general unease. Now, 13th is a lot more interesting. So 13 kind of gained a prominence for dislike. It really is a little bit of a psychological thing. Basically, we view 10 and 12 as these perfect numbers, especially 12, this perfect whole number, right? 12 divided by 2 is 6 divided by 2 is 3. We like 3s. It We view 12 as perfect. So 13, one more, is naturally going to make humans just psychologically a little uneasy. And then we have things such as a baker's dozen, right? That's 13. Uh, the extra is supposed to represent a mistake. 13 is a mistake. And then we have some kind of mythological reasons. Uh, we see, so a lot of different cultures have like this mythological, like doomed dinner. Uh, you see it with the Last Supper. And there's another one in, in Norse mythology where there's like a 13th guest and they're a problem. So the Last Supper had 13 guests. And then in Norse mythology, there's a a myth about these gods who had a dinner and the 13th guest was Loki, right? He was someone who caused chaos. So 13 just psychologically makes people a little itchy, right? At least in our culture, just a little itchy, you know? And so for a long time, 13 was gaining popularity as an unlucky number. And again, primarily just in the U.S., other countries have their own thing going on. Um, but we view 13 as just itchy. We just, it just makes us a little, uh, it's like the most, uh, like the most oddest number. <laughs> so there kind of began this idea of 13 is, uh, uh, and it started to make people feel uncomfortable so much so that, uh, a lot of hotels won't have a 13th floor and this sort of thing. There was a club founded by someone who was like, you know, I am so sick of hearing this uh, slander against the number 13. 
we need to prove that we are better than these unfounded fears and we are going to have something called the 13th club and the 13th club was essentially a group of men kind of giving the middle finger to this unease so the 13th club would meet um on the 13th on the 13th floor and have a 13 course dinner um again kind of just like as a big f you to this these bad feelings and apparently a lot of prominent people were in the 13th club uh, including some presidents which is i think really fascinating does it still go on today i don't know i would think so it's hard to keep a good club down <laughs> probably it probably still remains but uh these people were just like this unease for the number 13 is just like out of control yes it makes people itchy it's uncomfortable it is one more than our perfect number 12 that like psychologically just feels really good to people now friday the 13th basically how this happened fascinating there was a man let me find his name i used to know his name off the top of my head what was his name Thomas Lawson. So this was in 1907. Thomas William Lawson wrote a book called Friday, comma, the 13th. He was a writer. He literally was like, mm, you know, it'd be so cool to like write a book based off something that makes people very uncomfortable. People are itchy about Fridays. People are itchy about 13. Let's like write this book that's going to make people uncomfortable. And yeah. In Thomas Lawson's 1907 novel, a stockbroker picks Friday the 13th as the day he will set about the events to bring Wall Street to its knees. So when originally published, the novel was a resounding success. It sold more than 60,000 copies the first month of sale. So this was like Twilight. It was just popular. Uh, so, yeah. It was just a really popular book. It was creepy. It was spooky. And it was giving in to the superstition of Friday and the 13th. So I'm going to read the back of the book. Lawson's classic te text, originally published in London, is updated with an introduction by Paranormal. Blah, blah, blah. Let's see. Basically, this book was just make, taking two things that made people kind of uncomfortable because of superstition, mythology, the Bible, and just our natural human need to need things symmetrical and even, and made a creepy book. And because it was so popular, suddenly the day Friday the 13th blew up. It was because of this book. It was literally like... Again, the twilight of its, of its time. It was so horrendously popular. And that was it. Literally, this book is what caused the fear of the Friday the 13th. Now, if you're like Tanya, but I saw a meme that said Friday the 13th is the most magical day of all. Because back in the day, people hated women. And clearly, that's the reason. No. A guy just wrote a book. It was just 
just creepy enough. It was like Black Mirror-y where it just tickled people's uncomfortableness just enough to freak people out. And it's, that is it. Now, if you're like, Batanya, I like Friday 13th. How can I harness this for my good? There is a way. There is a way. Friday 13th just makes people uncomfortable. Okay. Um, a lot of money is lost on Friday 13th because people won't make business deals. Um, uh, airlines lose money because people don't want to travel on that date. It still is something that makes people uncomfortable. I mean, the fact that we make up BS memes to try to make it make sense just shows it still makes people uncomfortable. So what does uncomfortableness bring? I think uncomfortableness brings change. It brings progression. It advances the world. And sometimes it's fun to make people just a little uncomfortable. So if you're like, Tanya, how can we celebrate Friday the 13th in like maybe a cool kind of accurate way and not in a perpetrating these BS facts people make up? Let me tell you, be weird. Be weird today. Go out and just do something kind of weird and spooky and that makes people uncomfortable and chilling. I, I don't know how you're going to do it. Maybe you go out and wear glitter on your face, but like pretend like you can't or pretend like you're invisible or pretend like other people are invisible. I don't know, but have fun with it and make people uneasy. Uneasiness is fun. Clearly, this thing wouldn't have survived. So I ask you. Watch out for the memes. Fact check them. I promise they are not accurate. But just remember, when you see the number 13 and you're like, why do people hate that number 13? The Bible, The Last Supper, Norse mythology, uh, people's uh, obsession with like... Um, you know, symmetry. I mean, we all have friends, including myself, who won't put the volume dialer on an odd number. That is why people don't like 13. It is it. It has nothing to do with women, periods, well, I don't know, whatever, the moons, nothing. It just doesn't. Okay. Uh, so that is my speech. You, I, I, I'll always skip a Friday 13th. So you're safe next time. But I, I will I, I will preach this. I, I will preach this until I am heard and until the insanity stops. <laughs> Question every meme. If it says fun fact, check. You can check, friends. And don't perpetuate misinformation. I know it seems like harmless fun, but I think if we've learned anything in the decade of 2000s or decade, century of 2000s, uh, misinformation just gets real icky real fast, okay? So try your best. Oh, ooh, you know what you could also do? You could have your own little 13 club dinner. You could invite 13 friends, have 13 courses. Uh, I, I don't know. It could be fun. Who can say? Anyways, witches, do you like when I soapbox or do you like skip it? <laughs> Are you like, oh no, she's at it again. We we don't need to hear this. I mean, you know. It's just me in my living room. I say a lot of things. Anyways, that's all I've got for you today. I do want to give a shout out to listener George Ann. George Ann, you noble esoteric garden nymph. 
Lisa Lord, you mystical scrumptious tiger cub. And Emmy Jean, you golden, beautiful, creepy author of Friday the 13th. <laughs> I hope you guys have a wonderful day. And thank you for being Patreon supporters. And that's all I've got for you. Don't forget any books, decks, headlines, sources. Anything we reference today can be found in the podcast episode description or witchpod.com. And we will talk again tomorrow. Bye. Witches, we hope you have a wonderful day full of joy and gentleness and confidence. Links for this week's episodes, our website, Patreon, along with a free daily card pull can be found at witchpod.com. One stop for everything we talk about. Now, take one more deep breath and have a great day.